and welcome. This is a podcast of Ukraine World, an initiative aimed at explaining Ukraine. And today we have Peter Dickinson, who is a non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council and publisher of Business Ukraine and Lviv Today magazines. Good evening, Peter. Good evening. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, and we are talking now again about Ukraine's presidential election, but I hope we'll also cover some economic and business issues. My first question, Peter, to you, what is your impression of what is now going on in Ukraine around the election campaign? Uh, impressions, well, many impressions. I think that, you know, the most, the overwhelming impression is this uh, almost surreal sense now that we are we are moving towards a a huge gamble of the election of uh, Vladimir Zelensky. I think that it's it's a real leap into the unknown. Um, it seems to me largely to be a protest vote against uh, the entire political political system, the political um, establishment of the country. Uh, people are ready to take this, this huge gamble. In, in overwhelming numbers, it, it, the indications are that the vote will be a you know, he won't just win, he'll win with a very, very convincing majority, a historic majority. So it's clearly a reflection of the public mood. Uh, but what it will lead to is really hard to say. I would also point out, I think, another another important aspect of the election is how free it's been. I think we we should we need to remember the the context that Ukraine is coming from, the difficulties it's fa- it faces in terms of the security situation in the country, uh, and the democratic um, uh, the, the the legacy of the Soviet past and the, and the state of democracy elsewhere in the former Soviet Union, uh, the election has been extremely open, extremely competitive, extremely diverse. Uh, and the fact that the incumbent Poroshenko looks like he's going to lose the second round convincingly is also in itself an advert for d- Ukrainian democracy. Clearly, he's not done the you know not not engaged in the 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 massive fraud and falsification that people accused him of. How would you expl- uh, describe Mr. Zelensky? Because on the one hand, he has a very pro-Western rhetoric. You've, you've written about this in your articles for Atlantic Council. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we understand that he comes from southeastern Ukraine, that he has links to Russia, that he comes from this, you know, Russian uh, pop business, comedy business. So is it is it the hybrid candidate? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, if, if, if you take Zelensky as an individual, I think there are there is a lot of the, the so-called Russian world about him. Um, he is from the, if, if we talk about the Russian world as a cultural construct, as, as a social cultural um, concept, let's say, he's very much, I think, a part of that. He's clearly, I mean, there's, there's no debate. He's a very, he's a Russian speaker. He grew up in an environment, Krivirig, where he's from. It's probably the most Soviet place I've ever been. I've, I've visited yes, there. It's, it's and very industrial it's, region. Yes. It's a, it's a textbook Soviet. I mean, it's it's it it feels it felt when I was there some years ago on a, on a, a business trip, but. Um, it feels incredibly Soviet in a, in a stereotypical way. I can imagine someone growing up there would have a very strong sense of um, ties to the Soviet Union and and uh, less so perhaps to to traditional concepts of Ukrainian identity. Uh, however, I think that uh, his his um, pro-European, pro-Western rhetoric can't be dis. Dis- discarded. A lot of his critics seem to just treat it as as uh, 
self-evidently untrue. I think I don't I don't see that uh, that's that, I don't think that's reasonable at this stage. Certainly, we should be concerned about uh, his potential leanings, but fundamentally, what he says he wants to do is broadly in line with uh, a, a Maidan agenda. You could say it's reformist, it's uh, pro-Western, it's a democratic, liberal economic uh, model that he's looking to establish, uh, anti-corruption. But, but couldn't couldn't it be just a mask, for example? We understand that the, uh, voters of Zelensky are mostly pro-European, mostly young people. And of course, he speaks with the messages that they they are they they are likely to to accept. But couldn't it be a mask of you know gradual or slow return of the Russian world, at least of Russian information influence on Ukraine? What do you think? Yes, I mean, well, of course. I mean, that's a risk with all politicians. I mean, will they will they keep their promises? Will they do what they say they do? I mean, that's that's a reality. And with a candidate like this, who is such a an unknown quantity, it's a huge risk. But I think it's far fetched to assume that he will take power and then all of a sudden do diametrically the opposite of what he said he'd do. And that I mean, this again, Ukrainian democracy has shown that it's ready to take dramatic decisions and. Unless he was, for him to achieve that agenda, I think he would have to, within the space of a, of, of of his presidency, he would have to dismantle the democratic system itself. Otherwise, he would be himself voted out. I think that there is a clear national majority now, a a, a clear historical consensus that Ukraine is moving in the European direction, and that is, I think, you know, if he if he tries to go against that. But your point about the Russian. Um, cultural comeback is, I think, perhaps more relevant. That I, we would, I think, we can expect under a Zelensky presidency to see. Um, I would imagine. I would imagine actually, it won't be simply as clean cut as saying, "Okay, Russian cultural influence returns." I think Russian language, Ukraine, will have a bigger voice. Zelensky himself has spoken about the need to to conf, you know to fight back against Russia in the information war in Russian to establish Russian language uh, information inf- and information warfare capacities. Actually, spoken about in the Russian language, and I think you know Russian language Ukrainians will have uh, will find that that you know they, they will be perhaps less marginalized. In one of your, of your articles in uh, on Atlantic Council, you wrote, you pointed at uh, the uh, result of Mr. Boyko, who is much more clearly pro-Russian candidate, uh, just about uh, 11%, I think. Yeah. And for you, this is a clear sign that uh, Russia has lost these elections. Can you, can you, can you explain why? Well, I mean, I think if if we if we I mean the comparison that I used before was that um, Yanukovych, less than ten years ago, won the presidency. Now there may have been certain um, you know irregularities in the vote, but you know broadly speaking, it was recognised as a free and fair election. He gained almost fifty percent of the national vote as an openly pro-Russian candidate. Uh, whereas in this election, we see Boyko, the the most prominent or successful of the few. Pro-Russian candidates got, got you know, as you say, eleven percent. Uh, the numbers speak for themselves, I think. Now, of course, uh, we could argue that if the Donbas region is reintegrated into Ukraine, that will boost the pro-Russian vote. That's that's for sh- that's that you know, I, I wouldn't argue with that. I think that's sure. That's that's definitely true. But how much? I mean, could they get up to twenty percent? Probably. Could they get to thirty percent? Well, I would question that. But the days of them receiving forty or fifty percent 
uh, I believe are are gone now. I think that's that's a that's a you know a transitional period, and that Ukraine has now moved beyond that. I think that the, you know the leap from eleven percent to fifty percent is 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 too big. Let us talk about Poroshenko. Uh, we we understand that he has a huge level of mistrust in Ukrainian society, and despite the leap that he made uh, before the first round and a little bit after the first round, it's very difficult for him to win. What do you think are the key uh, key reasons for his not being successful? What mistakes he made during the whole presidency? For his entire presidency, I mean, I think he's I think he's been he's done more for Ukraine in terms of um, nation building or state building than than perhaps any other Ukrainian president. He's been extremely successful in that respect, and I think he's been successful in the international arena um, where he is where he struggled and where he's fallen down now heavily i think is is the uh, the failure to 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 break with the old system i think that there is a sense that you know the things that you hear mentioned a lot are the the failure to to prosecute anyone for for the maidan killings the failure to prosecute uh, the crimes committed under the yanukovych regime uh the ongoing corruption schemes the Dealing the backroom dealing with oligarch groups, all these things are you know painfully familiar to Ukrainians, and they haven't changed fundamentally. So, I think that there's a sense, and this is the Zelensky effect. You know, we're not seeing them turn to a pro-Russian candidate or a populist candidate like Tymoshenko. We're looking that they they they've gone totally left field. So we're just going to vote for the non-politician candidate, basically. You know, the guy who's outside of the system because. I, the, the, the sense I get is that people are so frustrated with this system they feel that they have to somehow break it and this is a, this is their this is their response um the other thing I think that's hurt Parashenko uh, badly is the gas prices the the, the the charges I think that this this was this was forced on the government by the uh, by the the IMF and, and other international organizations for a variety of of, of quite sound economic reasons but it's it's been disastrous because that hits absolutely everybody in the country and the the poorer they are the more the you know the, the more affected they are by that and it's very hard for them to see why this is necessary do you think it was a mistake by ukrainian government backed by international organizations like imf or european union to increase gas prices so dramatically uh yes i i would say so i would say that i i i'm familiar with the economic arguments i think that they are you know the it, it is a debate to be had but i think the way it was done the speed at which it was done and also the way it was communicated to the people has caused a lot of uh a lot of social tension and generated a, a, a you know dissatisfaction uh, throughout the country that it's now you know that's one of the the factors that's played a role i think in in undermining poroshenko's position because it's so widespread because it affects everybody and it's a fairly dramatic um increases as well we're talking about you know unprecedented increases in a thing that for many years people were f- used to it being you know almost free let's say uh, one of the arguments one of the slogans of poroshenko right now is that the key thing is to not to lose the country. So basically, this is a, a slogan showing that Ukraine is a very fragile state, still under the under aggression, and it mm. is very risky for Ukrainians to give their destiny to, to a comedian, somebody who is not prepared. Would you buy this argument of Poroshenko? Well, I understand why he's making it. I think it, and I think it, 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 it's a valid argument. I mean, there, there is no, I don't think, 
even his supporters would would deny that Zelensky represents a huge risk. And you know, with Ukraine, Ukraine doesn't have the the institutional strength that a country like America has, where you see someone like Trump also coming from outside of the establishment, also shaking things up, and perhaps you know not not doing things by the book and not doing things in in a in a professional manner, perhaps. Uh, but the institutions in America are strong enough to steady the to keep things uh, more or less together. Despite this, whereas in Ukraine, if we have a president uh, who is a disruptive uh, feature of the political landscape, the institutions aren't really there uh, to, you know, the checks and balances that you'd want to to have in place. So it it is a risk. It's a huge risk. Personally, I think that Ukraine um, has has developed uh, sufficiently to be able to, to, to take it on. But we have to wait and see. We don't know what he's going to do. Um, the the markets so far, the financial markets, have responded quite positively. There's not been any panic. Uh, there's actually been some upswing. Uh, the markets were more concerned about the Timoshenko presidency, actually, fearing that her economic policies, which they know from past experience, could be could be damaging. And there's not been any indication yet of a, of, of any you know panicky behaviours. Uh, but we, you know, it, it's really speculation. We don't know what he's going to do. We don't know. Let's talk about economic issues a bit later. But my mm. last question in this first part, uh, in one of your articles at Atlantic Council, you said this was probably, the t- I think, the title of your article that Ukrainians are world champions in coping with crisis. What do you mean by that? Um, well, uh, actually, that that article produced a mixed response, and some people felt that it was um, that it was a little bit. Did, demeaning to Ukrainians in the sense that well you know you'll cope you shouldn't don't don't worry you'll you'll manage you know but you'll you'll suffer but that's okay because you'll survive uh, which was not 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 the intention um I think my my point really is that Ukraine has uh, has you know an incredible resilience Ukrainians are very um, level-headed in crisis situations where others may panic Uh, where others would perhaps lose their heads or or respond in a, in a desperate way ukrainians are through historic experience uh, which has also you know, obviously been often very traumatic but still it's given the country a resilience which is which is an asset uh, i think that you know we're going into a period now of of, of great turbulence uh, the zelensky's presidency will be a, another major challenge for the country but if i would you know if i was looking for some people to be alongside me in in my team for whatever it was what i was going to do in into a into a crisis environment i can't think of anyone better to have alongside me than than some ukrainians who have the experience and the and the calmness to 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 deal with that sort of you know with extreme situations so let's t- let's talk about the economy business mm. you are an editor of business ukraine magazine do you think that business environment has improved or deteriorated in the past like three, four, or five years um i i i hear general generally um pretty positive assessments um i i communicate throughout the business community some of the things i hear you know one of the things i hear is that uh dialogue with the government has become more productive it's become easier to talk to the government and it's become more of a um you know, a constructive relationship whereas in the past the government typically would create obstacles for business or would somehow be looking to 
you know, established rent-seeking agreements, in short, corruption. Um, people now quite regularly report that the situation now, the dialogue has improved, has become a much more professional, more more constructive uh, relationship. So, I mean, there's, there's specific areas. I think, you know, the, the ProZorro initiative has been very successful. Uh, VAT refunds has been a very successful issue. There's been a removal of a lot of red tape, a lot of bureaucratic processes that previously were quite burdensome. Uh, people talk about corruption a lot, but actually bureaucracy can be almost as big a, a barrier to business, and that's been reduced. But the but, but the, the, these changes are real, but there's, the, the fundamental changes are have not taken place. You know, we still have issues with raiders, uh, which is a, a major barrier to investment. There's still huge issues, question marks about the 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 the, the courts, the the judiciary. Raiders, raiders. You mean the illegal takeovers, right? The yes, people the, who just come and just take over the business without yeah. paying. I mean, yeah. this is this is just a massive red line. If you're an investor, if you can't be sure of the you know your, your property rights, then you are going to think twice, and and that is very hard. It's very hard to to sell a product or country, as in this case. In that environment, you know, until Ukraine resolves the, you know, establishes a credible rule of law that addresses things like raidership and uh, property ownership rights, it will struggle to get the the levels of investment it needs. Ukraine, in theory, could be getting, you know, ten times the level of, of foreign investment that it receives now, but maybe even more. I mean, it's a growing economy; it's a hugely attractive market. Uh, it's got a lot of very strong positives in its favor, but these these things serve as barriers more so, in fact, in my experience, than than the war itself. You know, the war is obviously not attractive to investors, but they can factor that in. They can factor in the security issues, and in many cases, they will be looking at investment issues that are a long way from the front line. Uh, but rule of law is 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 a is a basically is is a, a huge barrier to investment do you see some improvements i mean uh, some new investors coming in or it is on the same level as uh, before maidan no no i think mean, certainly there's certainly new investors entering the market um in certain areas the renewable energy sector for example has seen a lot of uh, international investment in the last last year or two in fact very recently in Canadian, Norwegian, Chinese, uh, French. It's been a very dynamic sector and it's attracted, you know, individual projects costing hundreds of millions of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in investment uh, are springing up all over the country because the government created an environment which was attractive for that. They, they offered very attractive uh, guaranteed tariffs for the electricity that these plants will produce, mostly solar, solar power plants and wind plants. Um, and it, and it works. Investors came in, in in significant numbers and invested big money, and that will have an impact uh, on the country's energy security. Uh, you know, look at the airlines. Look at the 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 market has been has been relaxed. You know, market entry has been relaxed for Ukrainian uh, the Ukrainian air industry, and we see incredible numbers, incredible growth numbers in the in the country's airport passenger numbers. You know they're increasing by thirty percent, fifty percent, hundred percent. Absolutely remarkable growth. Retail, uh, the biggest, the biggest uh, sportswear manufacturer in the world, uh, Decathlon, opened their first store a couple of weeks ago. Uh, H&M are in. IKEA is opening soon. Uh, they're they're not coming just you know they're they're not coming 
just because it was time, they're seeing opportunities here. So it's happening, but it's not across the board and, and it's not as much as it could be because of these the barriers, the rule of law barriers. But you said that markets reacted to, well, quite smoothly or even positively to the success of uh, Zelensky in the first round. Why would you think? Uh, I don't think they were. Well, I mean, I think that they, they, they wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't characterize it as a positive for Zelensky. I think they didn't panic because of Zelensky. I think the market concern, uh, as I mentioned, was was largely uh, the, the the threat posed by a Timoshenko victory. Uh, there is a belief at this stage that in monetary policy, economic policy, Zelensky will be uh, will be caged in or, or limited in his scope to do anything dramatic. By Ukraine's, uh, by by the necessity of maintaining relations with the IMF and other international financial backers, because of the huge debt repayments that Ukraine has on the horizon for this year and and next year, you know Ukraine can't risk upsetting those relationships, which means that it has to work within uh, fairly fairly narrow channels initially, at least. So, uh, and this is the message that the, the campaign team is putting out, you know, and they've been very clear, one of the most prominent spokespersons to emerge from the campaign, you know, Zelensky himself is, is, is a very elusive figure, you know, is, is a, a vir- virtual, virtual figure, as, as Poroshenko himself says. But one of the key people who is coming out and speaking more and more is, is, is the former finance minister, Mr. Daniel Luke. Yeah. And that's not an accident either. I think that's, that's a clear, uh, Daniel Luke is a very interesting character. In terms of what he says about the Zelensky campaign and what they're trying to say, I mean, he's a he's a finance guy. He's a he's a Western. He's a very Western friendly guy. You know, he's a he's a former Western financial institution employee. He knows the Western financial world. He speaks the language of Western business, and he's a reformer with credibility. Uh, and he's a financial, you know, safe pair of hands. So uh, that's the message they want to put across there i think that like don't worry don't panic the financial side is is be, will be taken care of by professionals uh which which obviously zelensky is not but he doesn't pretend to be but there is another risk behind zelensky mr kolomoisky who is a very bizarre figure business <laughs> figure oligarch and his statements about imf for example are really are really scary because he's saying look there is no in one of the interviews he said there is no problem in ukraine uh, declaring a sovereign debt or uh, refusing from imf do you think this is a big risk for zelensky um i mean the kolomoisky factor is 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 a is one of one of the huge question marks around zelensky exactly what he would want uh, i think there's the, the, you know his his involvement in the in the campaign is is unquestionable it's clear it's evident uh, across the board um he is he is you know the question is did he create the whole phenomenon or not really or to what extent zelensky himself had this this concept in mind or or you know what what was the genesis of this idea but i think you know clearly we must assume that kolomoisky is a, a central figure in this this campaign this team what would he expect i mean i think he's he's prone to quite outrageous statements so i wouldn't necessarily assume we 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 shouldn't translate them into policy plans initially you know immediately because that's the nature of the man he seems to like to throw out these quite outrageous things uh, and also ru- you know ruling ukraine historically and i think it, for any president will mean to some extent building a a balance between the different oligarchic interests uh, Kolomoisky obviously will have the upper hand if 
his his guy is the president, but he won't have a free hand to do whatever he wants. Uh, so whilst he will benefit, I don't think he will be able to dictate exactly what policies we follow. Uh, and there'll be huge scrutiny on Zelensky specifically with the Kolomoisky relationship now. I mean, to an extent, I think we, we you know, Kolomoisky already gets some of his payback by Poroshenko losing. I mean, there's no love lost between Kolomoisky and Poroshenko. That seems to be a very genuine animosity between the, the, the two individuals. And the defeat of Poroshenko is already a reward for Zelensky, uh, for, for Kolomoisky. Um, but it's probably be too optimistic to hope that he will be satisfied with that. He will want more, certainly. So the, that will be one of the key issues to follow in the coming months. You know, as Zelensky, as president, emerges as a reality, uh, presumably, assuming assuming that you know he he doesn't implode between now and and the vote on Sunday, um, that will be one of the key things. The Kolomoisky relationship, obviously, the relationship with with Russia and the way he handles that, will be another key thing. And his uh, his his appointments, his appointments to the key posts, which hopefully we should also know about by by Friday, I believe. Thank you very much, Peter. We we discussed the Ukrainian political and also business issues. We had Peter Dix, uh, Dickinson, a non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council and publisher of Business Ukraine and Lviv Today magazines. This is Ukraine World Podcast. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief. Follow us on ukraineworld.org, on Twitter, on Facebook. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.